The most tragic events are often the ones that are most remembered, such as the case of the 1897 Paris tragedy. The Bazaar de la Charity would be the end of many of France's most wealthiest women. Thirty terrifying minutes would change everything. Death at a charity bazaar makes one remember the phrase, no good deed goes unpunished. This horrible accident reminds us that tragedy isn't a respecter of persons. We're all just fighting to survive. I'm Vanessa K. Eccles, and this is Fabled. Her long, bouncing blonde curls hang from her shoulders to her waist, and I can't help but admire how much she looks like her father. Her bright, round, blue eyes stare up at me as the film begins. The flickering light dancing across her face. We're both enthralled by the magic before us. We've never seen such a show. Images on the wall. People as if they were standing, living, right there. After the film, we make our way back into the crowd. The women's bustling skirts and perfumes fill the large tent. Nicole pushes her way through trying to see over the displays at all the beautiful things for sale. Maman, this is lovely, she says in her usual fairy voice. That's part melodic and part child. Put it back, my dear. We haven't much to spend, I tell her. Obedient, she puts the Liberty sculpture back in its place and takes my hand. A noise, one that's familiar, comes from behind me. A thick curtain hiding the film machine is there, and the hissing sound is coming from behind it. Reflexively, I pull Nicole into my arms. What is it, Maman? She asks, her voice turning into a whine. Hush, hush, dear, it's all right, I say, but my heart is thumping in my ears. And before I can get more than ten feet away, a roar of screams pours through the room. Fire! A man's voice booms. A sea of people rushes toward the only exit I see. The one I've been going toward. My feet are trampled. Elbows pierce into my sides as we all, hundreds of us, try to push through the small doorway. Women's shrieks come from behind, as well as a rush of heat. I can't look. I don't want to look. I glance up at Nicole, who's watching what's happening behind us. In the reflection of her eyes, I see the flames licking up the curtains that hide the wall of the shed. Her face morphs into a terror I've never seen her behold. I cut my hand around the back of her head, pulling her face to my shoulder. She doesn't need to see this. Keeping focused, I push farther into the crowd. We will not die like this. How can this even be happening? A man's cane smacks into my face as he clears a path for himself to the door. I nearly fall but manage to keep my footing. 
but I lose my grip on Nicole. Before I can grab her again, she's pushed by the wave of people and lost in the sea of silk and fine fabric. I spot her tiny hand reaching around one woman, but when I try to grab it, she's gone. I try to swim through to find her, but someone's knee meets my cheek, and tiny black spots and a sharp pain nearly sends me to the floor. Nicole, I call out, desperate to find her. Run! Fire! People keep saying, but there's nowhere to go. I keep focused on where I last saw her hand. Another surge of people pass as the others make it out the doorway. That's when I see her. Bright blue eyes burning open. Her tiny body flat on the floor. Blood dripping from her mouth and nose. Nicole! I scream. The horror of seeing her this way is too much. I fall to my knees, crawl toward her, scooping her up. The mob crushes my feet, stepping on my ankles, kneeing me as they rush to survive. But my tiny girl has been smashed, broken. Her limp arms hang lifelessly across me, getting trampled. The hissing sound has moved to cracking as the pine bends and burns. The shrieks of the dying roar so loudly, I can hardly think. Smoke is making it hard to see, and I can no longer feel my legs. I will die here, I think, realizing that life isn't worth living without her. How could I have let this happen? It was only a second, and she was gone. A mere moment, and she was lost in the sea of chaos. I hold her as close as possible, rocking her until I fall backward, breath choking, hot flames dripping from the ceiling, until all that was, was black. nobility was among the smallest noble classes in Europe, with numbers reportedly only reaching about 0.5 to 1% of the population. Despite their small numbers, they were powerful and lived quite the extravagant lifestyle compared to other classes. Belle Epoque, or Beautiful Epoque, is the period in which France rested in 1897. It was a season of positivity, peace, and wealth. Art was flourishing. Literature, theater, and music were becoming an important part of French society. In an era of tranquility and abundance, it's no surprise that people wanted to give back. To do so, they began the Bazaar de la Charité. Although the event was organized, to make an impactful charitable contribution, it is remembered for taking 126 lives. In 1897, the bazaar was organized by Henry Blunt, son of Sir Edward Blunt, who was an English banker and advocate of the French railway system. On March 3rd, somewhere between 1,500 and 1,800 people 
primarily ladies, attended the event. Aristocracy from all over Europe and America came to the affair. Several women of Paris society were there as salespeople to help facilitate the purchasing of items for the charitable cause. The bazaar was held in a large wooden and canvas structure in Paris, something akin to a shed. Within the walls of the shed, a fantastical street was built. The inside had a medieval look made with inexpensive materials, such as cardboard, wood, and paper mache. Reminiscent of what you'd see at a high school prom, perhaps. The idea was to make the structure look like how ancient Paris would have appeared so many moons ago. According to an article by author and historian Jerry Walton, one woman described the building as, quote, a long gallery having small, narrow, picturesque houses. The shops standing open in which smiling ladies in bright costumes kept the stalls, while outside the shops were young assistants, pressing the passerby to enter and make purchases. At 4.30 that afternoon, a small fire began and quickly engulfed the structure. The crowd panicked and rushed toward the exits, but there were few of them. The doors were soon clogged with fearful people trying to escape. In the chaos, many were trampled. The lucky few who made it out flooded the streets and neighbors' homes, crying for help. When the police arrived, they attempted to help people from the exits, but the fire was so fast and quick that there was little they could do. Many women had burns on their faces, arms, and hands. One reporter wrote that women of lower classes risked themselves as they tried to tear the burning dresses from the ladies who escaped. Other heroes emerged too. Father Bailey and Father Ambrose, who were close by because of the neighboring convent, rushed to help people escape the fiery structure. Together they managed to save 30 lives. The cook and the manager at the Hotel d'Apollet also came to the women's aid. They helped save over 150 people. By the time firefighters arrived, the roof and entire structure were aflame. Even the people who were making it out were burning torches. Onlookers were forced to watch in horror as people were burned alive on the street. The hissing flames and popping pine, along with the desperate cries of the people still stuck inside, haunted the ears of those standing helplessly on the street. Until everything went deathly quiet. Within half an hour, the fire was over, the structure and its inhabitants wholly consumed. Women looking for their daughters sobbed as they panicked to check every face and the rubble when things subsided. A wave of deep mourning and shock swept through the Paris street. The fire consumed the lives of 126 people with an additional 150 injured. But what caused this horrible disaster? One of the most anticipated highlights of the bazaar was the cinematograph, an early motion picture camera or film projector. Invented in 1892, by the French inventor Leon Bully and sold to the Lemire brothers 
Cinematograph films drew in large crowds. It was an electrical wire from the cinematograph that began the fire. There was nothing left of the structure except for black charred rubble and piles of bodies burned beyond recognition. Victims were identified by their dresses, jewelry, and eventually pronounced dead by the court. One of the most prominent women in attendance was the Duchess of Alençon, Duchess Sophie in Bavaria. She was the sister of the famous Empress Elizabeth of Austria. The Duchess was reportedly at the bazaar collecting funds for Dominicans. When the fire started, it was noted that the Duchess insisted on helping nuns, younger ladies, and other guests be rescued. She left this world a hero. Her body was identified by her gold fillings, a technique that would later evolve into forensic dentistry. Side note, the Duchess's sister, Empress Elizabeth of Austria, or Sisi, as she's sometimes called, also has a fascinating story. She was married at the age of 16, but had a tumultuous relationship with her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law insisted on raising Elizabeth's daughters, and one of them actually died. Her life at court was stressful, so she spent a lot of time in Hungary. She craved a peaceful life, but unfortunately, that was not the life that she lived. She was incredibly beautiful, known for her good looks, but she was obsessed with maintaining that beauty throughout her years. One of the things I found especially intriguing about her is that she wasn't a fan of a monarchy government and believed that it would eventually become obsolete, which makes what happened to her even more sadly ironic. When she was 60 years old, she traveled to Geneva, Switzerland. One afternoon, when she and her ladies-in-waiting were walking along Lake Geneva, a 25-year-old Italian anarchist, Luigi Lucini, stabbed Elizabeth. Luigi had not set out to kill her specifically, only to kill a sovereign and apparently any monarch would do, and she would later die. So this was a dark season for the family, two wonderful, well-respected women dying within two years. The aftermath of the fire left Parisians both mournful and angry about what had happened to so many of the country's leading ladies. They wanted answers and they wanted someone to pay. Initially, they blamed the bizarre organizer Blunt, who had been injured during the fire, but that was later let go when witnesses claimed that he'd been merely trying to survive like everyone else. What people ultimately wanted was for nothing like this to happen again, so they flocked to the Chamber of Deputies. Three people were charged with the fire. It was their supposed negligence that led to the disaster. One of them was the president of the bazaar's committee, who they claimed should have had firefighters on guard in case of a fire on such a flammable building, and the other two charged were the cinematograph's operator and his assistant. But because all of them helped during the fire and were first offenders, they were given probation rather than placed in prison. In the end, it was determined that many factors played a part in the tragedy. There weren't enough exits for guests in case of an emergency. The structure's materials were highly flammable, and there was no water source at the road, such as hydrants, 
These issues began new legislation to protect the public from fire at events. A chapel was built on the location of where the bazaar once was. The Chapel of Atonement, or Notre Dame de Consolation, is dedicated to the remembrance of the victims. What first interested me in studying this topic was watching the Netflix series The Bonfire of Destiny. It's a fascinating drama inspired by the 1897 disaster. If you're a fan of Grand Hotel or Downton Abbey, you'd likely enjoy it as well. Fabled is produced by me, Vanessa K. Eccles, with music by Kevin McLeod and Epidemic Sound. All episodes are brought to you by my wonderful patrons. Many thanks to Phoebe for recently joining the patron community. If you'd like to receive exclusive content and help the show grow, please visit patreon.com forward slash Fable Collective. There are a few new things on the Fable Journal. Last week, I shared all about my New Year's anti-resolutions and what I hope to do to make 2020 a great year. Next week, I'll be sharing five ways to Huga your home. I've been studying the Danish art of Huga, the idea of making a cozy and happy life, and I've found it particularly conducive to creativity. For more about that, just visit fablecollective.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave a review or star rating. These really help people decide on whether or not they'd like to try a new podcast. Already left one? Thank you so much. Until next time, thank you for listening.